It's France. It's Denmark. It's Tunisia. And it's Australia. It's Group D. And it's the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. It's the International Soccer Preview by Soccer Files Canada. Hello and welcome to the International Soccer Preview by Soccer Files Canada. I'm Kevin. And I'm Connor. We will be doing a group-by-group preview in this series, and this podcast is looking at Group D of the World Cup, made up of France, Denmark, Tunisia, and Australia. Right, and then this series will be followed by our next one, which is a team-by-team look at their players. And then shortly after the, or sorry, shortly before the Cup, we'll be doing another podcast series with final updates on both the teams and the players. So this series features a deep dive into the World Cup Finals history of the teams. For a deeper dive still, you can check out any of the nine podcast series we've done so far, and we'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast. Right, so let's look at the three sections uh, we'll cover in this podcast. So with part one, we begin with a look at who is in the group, uh, which pot they came from, their colors and nickname, and some geographical information about each country. Uh, comparing how big each country is in relation to the others in the group. Right. And part two is the longest section. That's a team-by-team overview with a quick review of their participation and major achievements, an overview of their world and regional cup history, and then, as uh, promised for this series, a deep dive into their World Cup finals history. And we'll give uh, particular attention at the end to their recent tournaments and games. Right, and then part three, we end with a summary of each team and a sense of their current form as we lead into a comparison of the teams uh, through their FIFA and ELO rankings, head-to-head meetings, and the odds on their success. Uh, This launches us into a discussion of their prospects and our predictions. Right, and as Connor mentioned at the end, we'll again provide our uh, address and the links so that those who want to delve into more history on the team can check previous podcasts. Uh, We'll also uh, provide show notes to help you navigate through uh, this podcast. And there is, by the way, a YouTube version of this, as well as this uh, podcast version. So they're the same broadcast, but the YouTube version has simple graphics to follow while one listens along. And uh, as mentioned, these can be found in the show notes. All right. Well, I I have bitter news to uh, give Connor. I believe uh, your brother actually bought me a an Australia shirt, and I was frantically looking for it today, and I couldn't come up with it. So I had to go with this Brazil shirt, which is kind of the same colors. Yeah, the yellow and green. Well, I didn't have a shirt from either of these countries, so I'm staying neutral and unbiased with a gray shirt. All right. Well, I want everyone to imagine me wearing my uh, Australia shirt, not because I'm particularly favoring Australia, just because I I have the shirt. Uh, Any biases to admit to, Connor? Nope. I have a a clear conscience on this one. (laughs) Okay. well, let's begin with part one. And we're going to just look at the teams and their parts, their shirt colors and stuff like that. All right. So the part one team is France. 
um, the defending World Cup champions, so no surprise. Their nickname is Les Bleus, and they wear blue. Yes, uh, usually with a little splash of red and white in there somewhere. And where are they in the pot exactly? They were, um, well, Qatar as a seeded team was kind of the first team in the pot, but France um, were the third ranked team in the world at the time of the draw. So they're, uh, they're from the top half, I guess, of pot one. Yeah. Okay, great. On to Denmark in pot two. All right. Denmark have a couple nicknames, the Red and White, the Danish Dynamite, and the Olsen Banden, or the Olsen Gang. Um, their colors are red with white. Um, and they are from pot two and kind of from the upper part of pot two. They were 11th at the time of the draw. All right. Yeah, generally uh, mostly red with kind of white on the sleeves. Again, uh, they, they might have a slightly different uniform at the cup. We tried to kind of pick out their standard uniforms. On to Tunisia. All right. Tunisia, the pot three team, but they actually come from the very bottom of pot three. Um, and in fact, had had um, you know Wales are a pot four team, but they were ranked 18th just because they came through a playoff. But um, they are kind yeah, of. I remember your bitter rant about that when we did their group. <laughs> yeah, well, Tunisia. The point I'm making is they're bottom of pot three, but actually would be would be a pot four team based on their ranking. Um, I see. And yeah, their nickname is the Carthage Carthaginian Eagles or the Eagles of Carthage, and they wear uh, red. Um, with a white alternate. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. Uh, I've I've seen them wear both kind of red with a splash of white or white with a splash of red. Yeah. All right, on to team four, and uh, <laughs> just reminding me that my poor shirt. You do have the colors right, though. Yellow with a bit of green. Uh, they have one of the better nicknames in world soccer, the Socceroos, <laughs> and uh, they're a pot four team. Um, based on their ranking, they're kind of a middle middle team in pot four. Yeah, they uh, they were one of the teams that kind of came through a playoff, so they weren't there for the actual draw. But uh, as it turns out, unlike Wales, they they kind of would have been in pot four anyway. Okay, well, let's move on to the next part, a bit of geographical info about the countries. You want to take it away with France? Yeah, we'll start with France, um, a large country in Western Europe. Um, 640,000 square kilometers. That's the ninth biggest by area of all the uh, countries competing in the World Cup. Um, and their population is 68 million. And that actually ranks seventh among all countries. So they're a, they're a big country by both measures. Mm -hmm. Okay, over to uh, Denmark. Yeah, Denmark are one of the smaller countries by area. That's if you exclude Greenland, which is technically part of their territory, but we won't. Uh, just 43,000 square kilometers, so less than a tenth of France. Um, that ranks 27th among all countries. And they have a population of uh, just under 6 million people. So again, about a tenth of France, and again, 27th among the 32 countries. So by all measures, a small country. Right. Okay, well, uh, down to Tunisia. Tunisia, um, they rank 20th in terms of land area at 163,000 square kilometers. Um, so about four times out of Denmark, um, and a population of 11.8 million people, um, and that ranks uh, 22nd among 30, the 32 countries. All right, and now we take a long flight uh, south and east to Australia. Yeah, Australia, the fourth largest country by area, 
um, at over 7 million um, square kilometers. So that's 10 times the size of France. Um, but in population, they're much smaller. 26 million people ranks them 17th out of 32 countries. All right. Well, you've done some comparisons along the way, but we'll kind of uh, put it all together here. Yeah. So and, wanna, yeah. Yeah. Focusing on population, uh, we have France, the biggest at 68 million people. Um, then we have Australia second at 26 million, Tunisia uh, 11.8 and Denmark 5.9. Um, right. So, uh, okay. We'll skip the land sizes, but Australia the biggest by far. Um, shall we move on to part two then? Yeah. Um, part two begins with France. Do you want to take us through their uh, participation? You betcha. Their first uh, international game was in 1904. And as far as the World Cup goes, they're a senior team having entered all the World Cups in 1950. Sorry, I, I, I entered all the World Cups except in 1950 when they withdrew. They have never failed to enter the Euro Cup from its start in 1960. Yeah, and France have come in and out of prominence, but are marked by three strong periods. Around 1958, uh, led by Juste Fontaine. The 1980s, led by Michel Platini, uh, featuring their first Euro Cup. And then the turn of the millennium, um, including kind of an afterflash in 2006, led by Zinedine Zidane, um, a period which featured their first World Cup title and second Euro Cup title. I guess recent times are a fourth strong period and, and feature their second World Cup title, though it's uh, not associated with a strong personality uh, like the pre previous three. Right, and we're going to get into more detail on that when we get to the uh, World Cup finals in detail. But we're going to start with just an overview of their World Cup uh, history. And uh, they were there from the beginning of the World Cup, but they were not a strong team at the beginning. They were knocked out in the first round of the first two World Cups, and they only reached the quarterfinals when they hosted in 1938. Uh, as Connor said, their first strong period uh, was around 1958, led by Juste Fontaine. And in fact, that was the weakest of the four peaks that we're, we're talking about here. And uh, it saw them take third place in the 1958 World Cup. The second strongest period saw them take fourth in 1962. And uh, the and third in the 1986 World Cups. Wait a minute, that does not right. That's fourth in 1982 and uh, third in 1986. While their third strong period had them winning the Cup as host in 1998 and then finishing with a swan song second place in 2002 uh, following a ghastly performance in 2002. Sorry, their second place was in 2006. And then in their fourth period, they had a second World Cup win. That was in 2018, which is the jewel of uh, their fourth strong period. In between, though, they were often weak, either not qualifying or getting knocked out at the group stage. So their biggest valley, if we talk about peaks and valleys, was 1962 to 1980, where they failed to reach three cups and they were knocked out in the other two. All in all, they failed to pass the group stage as often as they pass it, and they have failed to, to um, reach the cup slightly less than each of those, although they haven't now failed in, uh, since 1994. 
Ooh, had a little trouble getting through that one, Connor. That's all right. Um, yeah, we're going to divide their World Cup finals history into five parts. Um, and uh, yeah, Kevin, you'll start with part one. Okay, well, they traveled to Uruguay for the first World Cup by boat, an arduous trip for the European teams. And they won their opener against Mexico, earning the honor of the first World Cup goal ever in that game. However, they lost 0-1 to both Argentina and Chile. Uh, controversy over the game against Argentina reports that the Brazilian ref whistled the game to a close six minutes early, um, just as France was about to score. That's actually in quotes because uh, it's directly from, from my source. Um, just as uh, France was about to score, it's kind of hard to imagine what really happened there. Uh, the account doesn't actually blame the referee, so it sounds a bit implausible. Uh, nevertheless, the result stood and France finished third in the group stage and were out. In 1934, Italy was structured as a round of 16 onward is currently structured, and uh, they lost in the round of 16 there uh, to Austria in extra time. They hosted the following cup in 1938, much to the ire of the South Americans who were promised alternating cups. Uh, coming in on the heels of 10 straight wins, uh, they beat Belgium in the first round, uh, effectively the round of 16. In the second round or the quarterfinals, they met host Italy who beat them 3-1 and uh, went on to win the cup. Uh, for 1950 Brazil, France lost to Yugoslavia in qualification, but were then invited to replace uh, Scotland, who had withdrawn. So they at first accepted um, uh, the invitation, but then they complained when they realized that their venues were 3,000 kilometers apart. Uh, Brazil refused to change it, so France withdrew from the cup. And uh, finally, in the part one here, 1954 Switzerland, uh, that, that cup is famous for being a bit oddly structured, uh, where teams were in a group of four, but they only played two of the other teams. Uh, in, in France's case, they didn't have to face group winner Brazil, but they did lose to Uruguay in their opener. They faced Mexico in the second game and won on a penalty at 88. It was only enough for third place, though, and they didn't advance. Great. I'll just mention that they lost to uh, Yugoslavia, not Uruguay, in their opener in the 1954 World Cup. Oh, sorry. Okay, that's right. But also, so, uh, yeah, just to summarize, so the first five cups, uh, they only reached the quarterfinals when they hosted in 1938. Yeah, so not a, like we said, not a really strong performance on the world stage, but... Um, that changed in 1958, uh, which featured Juice Fontaine, who still holds the record with 13 goals in one World Cup. Wow. He had first played for the team in 1953, but only had one cap for the team by the 1954 World Cup and was not selected. In fact, he only had uh, one cap in each of 1956 and 57, um, and two immediately before the Cup. So he only had five caps going into the tournament. However, he was uh, a very prominent player. He got a hat-trick in the first game alone, was a 7-3 win over Paraguay. Uh, France lost their second to Yugoslavia, but beat Scotland to top the group. Uh, from then on, it was a 4-0 win over Northern Ireland and a 5-2 loss in the semifinals to Brazil. 
uh, Pelé scoring a hat trick in that game. Uh, France took third place with a 6-3 win over Germany. Fontaine getting four goals there, having scored in every game uh, of the cup. Wow. Fontaine was forced into an early retirement at just 28 in 1961, um, and their second um, of five qualif or sorry, um, and their second of five qualification games for the 1962 World Cup was his last appearance. France did not reach that cup, and in fact began the worst period in their history. In 1966, they reached the cup, but only managed a draw with Mexico in their opening game. They lost to Uruguay and host England to finish last in the group. France then failed to qualify in both 1970 and 1974. France reached Argentina in 1978, uh, but lost 1-2 to both Italy and the host country and were out after two games, a 3-1 win over Hungary with all goals scored in the first half, uh, ultimately proving a meaningless game. Right, so part two from 1958 to 1978, only just that one third place finish in 1958 and not passing the group stage otherwise. But part three uh, covers 1982 to 1994, and uh, 23-year-old Michelle Platini had been on that squad and had scored uh, their goal against Argentina, but he was captain by 1982 and led them back into a period of strength beginning with the 1982 World Cup. It actually started poorly with a 1-3 loss to England, who scored 27 seconds into the game. Uh, it was a 4-1 win over debutantes Kuwait, a famous uh, game actually for a, for a refereeing incident. So here it is, the story. Uh, hearing a whistle from the stands, which they thought was the referee's whistle, the Russian referee, Kuwait stopped playing and France scored, putting them up 4-1. Kuwait argued vehemently about the goal. Before play resumed, a Kuwaiti royal family member rushed onto the field and gave the referee a piece of his mind. Shockingly, the referee changed the decision on the goal. Uh, France scored again shortly after, so it did end 4-1. Uh, the referee, sadly, was later stripped of all his credentials. What do you imagine the Kuwaiti royal family member said, Connor? Uh, I, I would love to know. Um, I have no idea, but um, yeah, shocking, shocking of that. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if he offered him a bribe or something. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, a tie with Czechoslovakia in the third game was enough to see France through in second place. Uh, in 1982, uh, the structure was a first and then a second group stage made up of three teams, and they beat Austria and Northern Ireland in a decidedly easy group. Uh, they went on to face West Germany in the semi-final, which was a classic match. The regular game ended at 1-1. Uh, the regular time included a ferocious foul by, by German keeper uh, Schumacher, knocking an attacker on a breakaway, knocking over an attacker on a breakaway, uh, knocking him unconscious and and, uh, and knocking out two of his teeth. Have you ever seen that one, Connor? Yeah, I actually uh, watched a video of it recently, and it is a shockingly violent play. Um, the, the ball is so far gone, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah, crazy incident. Yeah, yeah, I have seen it, but I have to see it again. Anyway, he didn't even get a yellow card, and the French were further infuriated when a goal kick was awarded. So France also thundered a, sh a shot off the crossbar in the closing minutes, but uh, 
it went to extra time. Uh, and France went up 3-1 by 98 minutes. And Germany came back with a goal by Rummenegger at 102 and Fischer on a trademark bicycle kick. So the uh, matter went to penalties and Schumacher saved two of them, securing the victory uh, for Germany. Even today, Schumacher's name is poison in France, even though he and the player that he injured became close friends. I don't know if he injured him uh, in that he had to go off, but uh, must have hurt. So the third place match uh, uh, was where France went to, and there they lost 2-3 to Poland. All right, so an eventful 1982 uh, between 1982 and 1986, France had won Euro 1984, with Platini scoring nine goals over the five matches. And France came into Mexico 1986 as one of the favourites. They won their group and beat defending champions Italy in the round of 16. And that too is considered one of the greatest games in history. Um The, oh, uh, Sorry, I think it was the, uh, the the quarterfinal against Brazil was one of the greatest games. Right, okay, sorry, I got a, a bit confused there. Okay, so um, the quarterfinal with Brazil, they played to a 1-1 draw in extra time, and it went to penalties with France winning the shootout 4-3 to knock out Brazil. Uh, during the match, Brazil hit the woodwork twice and frequently overran France. However, keeper Joel Batts kept France in it uh, in one of the goalkeeping performances of the century. Uh, amongst other things, he saved a Zico penalty 12 minutes from time and also saved a penalty in the shootout to give them the win. As in the previous cup, they met West Germany in the semi-final and were again beaten. France took third for the second time in a row with a win over Belgium. The game tied 2-2 in regular time, but won with two extra time goals. Platini scored only two goals in the tournament and was on the bench for the last game, but he had led them through a good period and he retired the following year, except, uh, get this, Connor, for oddly playing his final game with Kuwait in 1988. Weird. Yeah. Anyway, after 1986, France sunk into a poor period, failing to reach the Cup in 1990 and 1994. But they hosted the 1998 World Cup and won all games, including the final, which includes the first ever goal, uh, the first ever golden goal in a round of 16 game with Paraguay. Do you want to explain the golden goal, Connor? Yeah, at that time it was, well, just uh, newly introduced. Um, where basically extra time would end um, as soon as a goal was scored, as to previously and what we have now, where um, you play the full 30 minutes regardless. Yeah, that's right. It only lasted uh, two cups, I think. Anyway, the quarterfinal went scoreless with Italy, uh, but they won that on penalties, and it was Croatia in the semifinals. Uh, getting some payback on the descendants of Yugoslavia who had so often thwarted them. And a, and a glorious final where 27-year-old Zinedine Zidane, uh, who had taken a red card earlier in the tournament, scored two of the goals. That's 1998. All right, part four deals with uh, 2002 to 2006. 
Yeah, so like Platini before him, Zidane led France to a Euro title in between World Cups and was at his finest during their Euro title win. Neither he nor France, however, were at their finest during the 2002 South Korea-Japan World Cup, as Zidane actually injured for the first two games. Uh, perhaps coming in overconfident uh, with their recent titles, they lost to Senegal in the tournament opener in Seoul. The second game was a scoreless draw with Uruguay, and the third, a 0-2 loss to Denmark, uh, who they meet here, and they exited the tournament without having scored a goal. Oof. But that turned out to be a bad tournament between two good ones, and France finished second in the 2006 World Cup in Germany. After a middling group stage, uh, the final stages were stronger, beginning with a 3-1 win over Spain and a 1-0 win over Brazil, uh, their defense performing excellently. It was a 1-0 win over Portugal in the semi-final, leading them to a memorable final with Italy. Zidane opened the scoring with a penalty at 7 minutes, but Italy's Matarazzi equalized at 19. In truth, it was a dull game after that, with Italy reverting back to the defensive Catanaccio style, uh, with France attacking and Italy defending, um, defending a tie and producing little offense. What made it memorable was a drama in extra time. Uh, Zidane, now captain, inexplicably headbutted Matarazzi hard in the chest. It was not noticed by the referee as it was behind the play, but the fourth official informed the ref, and a red card was immediately delivered. It came out later that Matarazzi, uh, someone notorious for such things, had, insult had insulted Zidane's sister and mother, uh, mocking their Algerian descent, uh, before racism was really a focus of punishment. It's hard to say to what degree this affected France in the penalty shootout, but they lost 3-5. And it was a final game for the 34-year-old Zidane and the end of their strongest period. Um, okay, well, we'll... Uh, we'll possibly argue whether that was their strongest period but let's move on to part five of five uh, which covers 2010 to 2014 so 2010 was not unlike the 2002 disaster uh, that too included a goalless draw with uruguay in the group stage which was the first game here and they went on to lose to mexico and to host south africa a disgraceful infighting amongst the team, particularly a virtual coup against the manager, uh, seems to have been the reason for their poor performance. They returned more unified to Brazil in 2014 and beat Honduras and Switzerland by three goal margins in the group stage. France didn't even need the draw they earned in the last game against Ecuador to finish first in the group stage. Complaints of favoritism towards France echoed through the game against Ecuador uh ecuador's captain uh, antonio was it valencia yes antonio valencia uh, received a harsh red card at 50 minutes and in the round of 16 over win uh, uh in round of 16 over win over nigeria there were also complaints of um calls going france ways uh, but france reached the quarterfinal where they were ousted by eventual champions germany all right, well, that brings us to the end of the deep dive, except uh, we're going to continue on now with recent history. And Connor, are you going to take us through the 2018 World Cup? Yeah, well, I'll start with qualifying. So France came in as a second seed, but they beat the top seed in Netherlands twice. An away draw in Belarus was poor, but uh, was not the first time. But a home draw with Luxembourg was a shocking result. Uh, they also lost to Sweden on a quirky late goal, but took first place comfortably enough despite these lapses, 
um, and the Netherlands incidentally failed to qualify. Um, right. With uh, little exertion, they beat Australia and Peru at the final stages and seemed to agree to a goalless draw with Denmark to comfortably finish first in the group stage. Uh, they came from behind to beat Argentina in the most exciting game of the 28, uh, 2018 World Cup, um, winning 4-3, and they spectacularly beat Uruguay and Belgium to reach the final. There they were dominated by uh, Croatia, especially early, but showed the implacable patience that marked their uh, tournament um, to win, a questionable, penal a questionable penalty decision helping them along the way, um, but coming out 4-2 victors and lifting their second World Cup. Great. Okay. Well, uh, you may notice, Connor, that that group has uh, Denmark and Australia and France, so very similar to the group that they're in this time. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a look at how they've done in uh, 2022 World Cup qualifying. All right. So um, France tied Bosnia-Herzegovina at home and Ukraine twice. However, they finished six points at, uh, ahead of the Ukraine for an easy first place uh, in qualifying. Um, not the strongest group, um, but they, they won it convincingly enough. Yeah, Finland and Kazakhstan, the other teams there. Uh, okay, so here they are in the World Cup and we'll come back to that. But first, we're going to do an overview of their Euro Cup history. So success in Euro Cup play quite closely parallels the peaks and valleys of their World Cup fortunes. Uh, they finished fourth in the first cup in 1960, although that was considered a poor result given they were hosts. And uh, third place finishers, uh, they had been third place finishers in the previous World Cup there, so a good couple of years. Um, uh, also, the valleys were, were paralleling World Cup because they didn't qualify for the next five Euro Cups. Uh, also their worst uh, worst period in World Cup history. A good showing in the 1982 World Cup initiated the Platini years, and Euro 1984 saw, saw them host again and win the Euro Cup, their first title. Another lull followed and awaited the Zidane era, and another hosting to pull them out. After hosting and winning the 1998 World Cup, they took their second title in 2000, in Euro 2000. Now consistently qualifying for Cups, they also regularly passed the group stage, although a lapse in the 2008 Euro Cup, where they managed only a single draw with Romania, uh, was reminiscent of their lapses in the, or, or of their lapse in the 2002 World Cup and a lapse that was to follow in 2010. Though not so deep a trough, they were flat in their performances through to 2016, when again, hosting pulled them out of it with a second place finish in the Euro 2016. That initiated another strong period, uh, although, as Connor said earlier, there was no single figure representing it, but we did see it continue through to a World Cup title in 2018. So let's see how they have fared through the pandemic. Yeah, so their most recent uh, Euro Cup was the Euro 2020, uh, held in 2021 in various locations across the continent. Um, in terms of qualifying, they were bested by second place Turkey, but won all their other games to finish first in their qualifying group, Iceland, Albania, Andorra, and Moldova, the other teams. 
In the tournament, France won their opener over Germany, but then tied Hungary and Portugal. That was enough, though, to finish first in a very tough group stage. They then went on to lose to Switzerland in the round of 16 after seemingly have the game in hand, but falling to two late goals, which ultimately forced a penalty shootout, which they lost. All right. Well, that is their last Euro Cup tournament. So we're going to move on to just look at their recent history uh, in the last, um, I'd say, half a year or so. It goes back until November 2021. Do you want to talk us through that, Connor? Yeah, so we'll, we'll go back um, to those UEFA Nations League games uh, in October 2021 um, because France had won their group and was participating um, in the final, um, the 14 tournament, where they beat Spain and then Belgium to win um, uh, the first Nations League. Um, since then, they had a couple friendlies uh, in March of this year, winning against Ivory Coast in South Africa. And then they um, have had more Nations League games in June. Um, interestingly, they lost their first one at home to Denmark, mm -hmm. who they meet here. Um, they then tied both Croatia and Austria before losing at home to Croatia. Um, Croatia getting some measure of revenge for the World Cup final. So they uh, have yet to win uh, from four games in the Nations League so far. All right. So uh, strong in the Nations League, winning, winning the whole thing in 20. 21 but uh on the verge of uh of being relegated here connor to, to league b that would be a bit of a, a shocker yeah all and right then, well, oh yes one more thing to talk about yeah we'll just mention the order of their games at the world cup so france kick off with australia um they then face their european counterparts denmark in the second match before playing tunisia in their third game Right. Okay, well now let's move on to Denmark. Uh, and we'll start with an overview of their participation and achievement. So their first game was in 1908. Um, but they didn't make the first several World Cups. Their first entry was in 1958. And uh, after not entering in 1962, they participated consistently only from 1966. So that, oh, that is... Um, Peter Schumacher phoning me with a complaint about the way we presented his uh, his story. Okay, they are more consistent in uh, Euro Cup competition, having entered the first one in 1960 and then every edition after. Uh, how about yeah. their uh, achievements? So in the early years, um, they didn't reach uh, either cup, but from 1980 onwards, they reached the World Cup about half the time, uh, their best finish a quarter-final appearance in 1998. After 1980, they qualified for the Euro Cup consistently uh, until recent times when they missed two of three between 2008 and 2006. But their best result was a shock title win in 1992. Right, that's in the Euro Cup. An interesting story there, but I don't know if we're going to touch on it. Oh, we might touch on it in the Euro Cup overview. But anyway, we'll begin with a World Cup overview before we uh, take a deep dive into their finals history. So 1968 was probably the better performance where uh, in the group stage they crushed Uruguay 6-1 and beat West Germany to win all three matches. Sorry, Kevin, uh, that was uh, 1986 instead of 68. Oh, uh, is that what I, what I said? Yikes, so 1986. 
uh, that good performance reaching the round of 16. Uh, however, it ended with a heavy 1-5 loss to Spain in the round of 16. So that makes uh, 1998 a bit less spectacular, but their best result. They reached the quarterfinals uh, despite an unconvincing group stage. And, um, um, well, we'll go into that in more detail in the uh, World Cup deep dive. Uh, though they've only reached the World Cup five times, they made the best of it by passing the group stage four of those times, failing to do so only in 2010. The other three times they were knocked out uh, in the round of 16 by Spain in 1986, England in 2002, and Croatia in 2018. All right, well, let's uh, go into a bit of a deeper dive. I think I gave some of the details up above, so... Um, anyway, their first cup in 1986 was a good performance. In the group stage, they won all games. Uh, we covered that above. Uh, Scotland, Uruguay, and West Germany to finish first in the group stage. And then uh, the round of 16 saw them go up on a penalty at, uh, at 33. But Spain's Emilio uh, Butragueno scored just uh, before halftime at 43 to tie going into the break. And then Butragueno put on the show in the second half, scoring three more goals and uh, subjecting Denmark's, uh, Denmark to a humiliating 1-5 loss. Their own scorer, uh, Preban Altjer, had scored a hat-trick against Uruguay and registered four goals in all. He was their top scorer in the tournament. It took 12 years to reach their next cup. 1998 started with a win over Saudi Arabia. A tie with South Africa followed, and they lost to host France in the third game. It was enough for second place, though, and the round of 16 proved easy, where they were up 2-0 over Nigeria just 12 minutes in, and the game finished 4-1 in their favour. Uh, they scored quickly against Brazil in the quarterfinal, too, but going up a goal in the second minute, the South Americans got a goal back at 11 and then took the lead at 27. After the break, they tied at 50, but Brazil regained the lead at 59, and it ended a 2-3 loss for Denmark. It was as far as they would ever go in a World Cup. All right, they reached the next cup again in 2002, and they played their games in South Korea. Once again, they passed the group stage, winning 2-1 over Uruguay in their opener on a goal at 83. I got a little story here, Connor. I was at that game. I was unfortunately uh, getting snacks at halftime when Uruguay scored a beautiful volley. Uh, I think it was just a few minutes into the second half. So I missed one of the goals of the tournaments. So I blame it on a can of Pringles. It was so good, I still remember it. It was scored by Diego Forlan. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and actually, the, the, the goal uh, was right. We were sitting right behind the net where the goal was scored, so we would have had the best view of it, those damn Pringles. Anyway, they tied uh, Senegal in the second game, and they beat defending champions France, who they seem to play a lot in the group stage, uh, to take first in the group stage, combining with Senegal in second to knock out favourites France and Uruguay in one of the most topsy-turvy uh, groups in a topsy-turvy cup. They faced England in the round of 16, and it was over quickly, with England scoring at 5 and 22 and then adding a third before halftime. So Denmark couldn't recover from that, and there were no goals in the second half. 
Uh, Denmark uh, went into a weak period after that, suffering two non-qualifications, sandwiched by a group stage exit, the exact same pattern as in the Euro Cup uh, between 2008 and 2016. In the World Cup, it meant that 2010 was their only appearance in that eight-year period. Uh, or, or, sorry, it's really a 12-year period. Uh, and their only group stage exit in World Cup history there in 2010. They lost to Netherlands in the opener, but they beat Cameroon in the second game. But a 1-3 loss to Japan in the third game saw the Asians advance at Denmark's expense. Only Japan's second win over a European team in their World Cup history. After missing in 2014, the Danish returned in 2018 to another undefeated run through the group stage. Hang on, you're going to uh, talk us through that, uh, including qualifying, right? Yes, I'll, I'll, we'll, I will talk about 2018. All right. Um, and yeah, qualification actually got off to a poor start losing to Poland and uh, Montenegro, putting them in fourth place early on. Um, but they didn't lose any after that, suffering only two draws with Romania and impressively beating group leaders and winners Poland 4-0. Uh, they showed consistency winning all games against uh, the weaker Kazakhstan and Armenia. Um, they then had a playoff against Ireland. Uh, they tied the home leg nil-nil, but after going uh, a goal down, they actually crushed Ireland um, in the second leg, winning 5-1. Oh, that one hurt. Yeah. Uh, in the group stage, it was uh, less convincing this time with a 1-0 win over Peru, uh, who missed a penalty in the match, and ties with Austri Australia and France, uh, both of whom they meet here, uh, for a second-place finish. Um, in the round of 16 game against Croatia, Denmark scored in the first minute, um, but it was leveled by the fourth. Um, the game actually saw no more goals and went to extra time. Um, it all seemed over five minutes uh, from the end when Croatia got behind the defense um, and even the goalkeeper until a defender fouled from behind to prevent the goal. Uh, the defender got only a yellow card on the double jeopardy rule, um, and it proved worthwhile as goalkeeper Kasper Schmeichel saved the shot. Um, so then it went into uh, penalties, um, where five of the shots were missed, um, and uh, Croatia uh, won the game and, of course, went all the way to the final. So a uh, round of 16. Right, but Denmark another there. Uh, group stage pass for, for Denmark. That's pretty good. And uh, let's take a look at how they did in 2022 World Cup qualifying. So Denmark had an excellent qualification run, winning all games except the last one uh, in Scotland, which they lost. Um, but they had already secured top spot by that point. So they finished a comfortable first in their qualifying group, uh, winning nine games and losing just one of their uh, their 10 matches. All right. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick look at their uh, Euro Cup history and, um, uh, and then a closer look at their last Euro Cup. So uh, in terms of an overview, their Euro Cup is actually more outstanding than their World Cup record. After a fourth place finish in 1964, they didn't qualify again until 1984, but they reached the semifinals there and went on to reach the next six cups in a row until 2008. Their most impressive result was in 1992. Actually, they, they hadn't qualified for that cup, 
but they were selected to play when their group winners, Yugoslavia, were disqualified. So naturally not considered contenders. They shocked by winning the title. They passed the group stage only in, in 2004. Uh, sorry, yeah, they only passed the group stage in 2004 and failed to reach the cup in 2008 and in 2016, even though the latter saw the tournament expanded to 24 teams. So a bit of a disappointment there in 2016. Let's see how they did in 2020. So in 2020, uh, uh, they went undefeated, uh, uh, even best in group winners, Switzerland, um, but two draws with Ireland and one in Georgia gave them second place in the qualifying group, um, but that was good enough for automatic qualification. Really, the iconic moment of the tournament um, came when star Christian Eriksen collapsed to the ground with a heart attack, um, contributing to uh, an opening loss to Finland. Um, and as well, Belgium, despite being at home. Um, but ultimately, it motivated them to great success, starting with the win over Russia uh, to finish second in the group stage atop a three-way tie. Um, they crushed Wales and beat Czech Republic in the quarterfinals before taking England to extra time, uh, where they lost in the semifinals. All right, a good showing. I was surprised when, uh, when you were talking about that, that they got through the group stage in second with just three points. I don't imagine... That happens very often. No. But yeah, you can hardly blame them for losing to Finland. They're a very upsetting uh, situation. Um, and I believe Ericsson is back in action now, right? Yeah, yeah. He's been back for uh, for a little while now. Uh, played last season with Brentford and has now moved on to Man United. So just fabulous um, to see him back in action. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll kind of finish with a look at their recent and upcoming games in Europe. Uh, they've started the four, first uh, four games of the Nations League, and they have a couple of friendlies beside. You want to take us through it? Yeah, so friendlies in March saw them lose 4-2 in Netherlands, but then beat Serbia. And then their Nations League has started very well. Uh, they beat France in France, as we already mentioned. Um, they then beat Austria um, lost at home to Croatia, but beat Austria again. So they have three wins from four matches, so are sitting uh, pretty good uh, in their Nations League group. Yeah, they're sitting on top of that group, and they've, um, they can't be relegated now, and they could well win, uh, win first with France kind of out of the picture there. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to finish with just a look at the World Cup schedule for them. So uh, Denmark start with Tunisia. They then play France in their middle game, and they wrap things up with Australia. All right. Okay, well, we'll move on now to uh, Tunisia, starting with their participation and achievements. Their first international game was in 1957, and uh, they're a senior team in Africa. Uh uh, they joined the World Cup in 1962. They withdrew in 1966 as part of that uh, Asian-African boycott uh, that many nations took part in. But otherwise, Tunisia has uh, participated in the World Cup uh, consistently. Uh, actually, they're, they're not as senior as some African teams because they did miss the first two there. Um, uh, but they joined in, in 1962, same as the World Cup. Uh, but they've actually withdrawn uh, from a few cups, um, three between 1968 and 1974, 
sorry, that's four uh, in that period, and then once again in 1980. Uh, however, they've never missed a cup since 1980. How about their achievements, Connor? So in terms of achievement, Tunisia have reached the World Cup five times, although they've never made it past the group stage. They won one African Cup title in 2004 when they hosted and have otherwise finished second twice. They recently also finished second in the uh, 2021 Arab Cup. Right. Actually, they are part of a, a few other uh, kind of groups besides um, uh, Africa. Uh, but we're not really going to get into that. Uh, but we should mention that 2021 Arab Cup because it's become a more important competition. Uh, but we'll get to that a bit later. We'll start with a World Cup overview here. So 1978, uh, actually, do you want to do the overview, Connor? Sure. So 1978 was Tunisia's best performance, going 1-1-1, one, one, and one, um, so four points. But they managed um, only a draw in each of the three more recent appearances um, until they finally won their second World Cup game in 2018 against Panama. In qualifying, they did not come close uh, in the early years and didn't reach the final round until 1986. That's the final round of qualifying. That's right. Um, they were a consistent contender after that, uh, coming close in the following three cups, um, falling at the last step to Algeria in 1986, Cameroon in 1990, and finishing a qualification one point behind rivals Morocco in 1994. After reaching the cup three times in a row after that, they were also close in 2010 and 2014, uh, finishing a point behind Nigeria in a group stage in 2010 and losing to Cameroon in a final round knockout uh, in 2014. So I guess in summary, they, they either get to the World Cup or, or come very close. Yeah, uh, but they haven't passed the first round uh, so far in their previous four World Cups. So we'll talk about whether their chances of passing this time are any better. But let's take a look at those four previous World Cups in, in more detail. So uh, Tunisia's first successful qualification, that was for Argentina 1978, turned out to be their best performance. It started with a 3-1 win over Mexico, going down on a penalty just before halftime, but recovering with three goals in the second half. Then they lost 0-1 uh, to Poland, uh, which was a good score because Poland was in a period of historical strength. And they also tied defending champions West Germany in the third game. So a pretty competitive performance there in their first cup. And actually the first win for an African team in a World Cup. But a third place finish in the group. It took them 20 years to reach their next cup. But they qualified for France 1998. The first of three cups in a row. There in 1998, they lost 0-2 to England in their opener, suffering goals at the end of each half, and then lost to Colombia, who got the only goal of the game at 83. They were out after two games and faced Romania, who had already secured their passage. Uh, that game ended 1-1 for Tunisia, uh, their only point of the tournament. 2002 was a loss in their opener to Russia, who scored two goals in quick succession. Belgium opened the scoring at 13, uh, but Tunisia equalized very quickly at 17, and then there was no more scoring in their second game, so it ended a draw with Belgium. 
They faced host Japan in their third game and lost 0-2, so didn't pass the group stage. Uh, 2006 saw them earn only a single draw for the third cup in a row. This they earned in their opener with Saudi Arabia. Uh, the game ended excitingly as they went 1-1 uh, into the last 10 minutes. Saudi Arabia scored what seemed a winner at 84, but Tunisia equalized two minutes uh, two minutes later. Two minutes into extra time. Into extra time. Uh, that's impossible, though, isn't it? Two minutes into injury time? Injury maybe? time, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay, thanks. Uh, okay, so in, on to game two against Spain. They took an early lead, and they held the lead from eight minutes onwards until Spain equalized to 71. Then Spain scored two more goals over the next 17 minutes to deliver Tunisia a 1-3 loss. Game three with Ukraine went scoreless until a shameless dive by Ukraine's Andrei Shevchenko earned a penalty on the only goal of the game. Tunisians were furious, but even a tie would not have seen them through. And, uh, all right, well, you're going to take us through 2018, their most recent tournament. Right, so um, Tunisia, in terms of qualifying, um, entered in round two. Um which was a head-to-head -head against Mauritania, and they, uh, which they won in both legs. They went undefeated through the round three group stage, um, tying only Congo, DR away, and Libya at home, but beating last place Guinea twice. Uh, Congo, DR kept pace uh, with a consistent campaign, but Tunisia bested them to advance. Um, so Russia 2018 was uh, Tunisia's fifth qualification. There they face England and look to draw until England scored uh, a heartbreaking injury time winner. Tunisia went down quick, uh, went down quickly um, to Belgium in game two, uh, suffering a pair of early goals, um, but they equalized before 20 minutes to make it competitive. Um, at, sorry, they scored um, to make it competitive, at least until Belgium uh, scored again before the break. Uh, that game ended in a 2-5 loss uh, with both teams adding goals in the dying minutes. In the third match, they earned a win over Panama, their first since the very first World Cup game in 1978, uh, with a 2-1 comeback victory. That earned Tunisia third place, but no passage to the final stages. All right. Okay, well, still never making it past a group stage. Uh, let's take a look at how they got here to the 2022 World Cup. So Tunisia entered in the round two group stage, where they won all their home games, um, as well as a game on the road to Zambia. They tied in Mauritania and lost in Equatorial Guinea, though, um, but nevertheless topped the group, um, not really in danger uh, there. They then faced a round three playoff against Mali, winning on a single goal uh, away uh, and tying scoreless at home. So a 1-0 aggregate victory has taken them um, to now their sixth World Cup. Yeah, a uh, pretty easy run, would you say there, Connor? Yeah, I think Mali were among the weaker teams um, that they could have met, um, you know, in a playoff. For example, you had Senegal versus Egypt, you know, two kind of giants, whereas Tunisia were pay paired with Mali. So it was probably seen as, as a more favorable tie. Uh, Mali kept it close. Um, but, uh, yeah, Tunisia able to advance. Yeah, it was actually a, a poor guy, Moussa Sissako, who uh, um, the only goal of the of the whole series 
Uh, he scored an own goal. And then four minutes later on an unrelated play, he got a red card. So I think the weight of guilt will weigh heavy on his shoulders, eh? Yeah, Molly looking to qualify for their first World Cup. but uh, Yeah, and they're a good team too. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, too bad. Uh, anyway, let's move on to their regional cup with just an overview of this one. Uh, the African Cup. So their best period in World Cup play also marks their only African Cup win when they hosted in 2004. Otherwise, they finished second twice in 1965, where they had also hosted, and in 1996. They reached the semifinals four times beside, uh, besides, though after 2004, it took until 2019 to next achieve that. They've also reached every cup uh, from 1994, and they generally pass the group stage, failing to do so only four times. Uh, that's out of 13 tournaments, by the way. Uh, 2006 to 2017 saw them reaching the quarterfinals five out of seven times. But the quarterfinals seemed their ceiling until uh, 2019. I'm, I'm, I'm actually giving away uh, the recent history there, so... I'll let you describe that in more detail. Uh, the first period was the 10 years before 1994, where they failed to reach five cups in a row, uh, despite the tournament expanding to 12 teams in the last of these. Yeah, so I'll uh, take us through 2019, that African Cup, um, which was in Egypt, uh, starting with qualification, where they had a, a solid qualification campaign. Uh, dropping points only in Egypt on an injury time goal, but ultimately proving the more consistent team and finishing first uh, in their group stage. Uh, in the tournament themselves, they were unimpressive in the group stage, managing only draws uh, with Angola, Mauritania, and Mali. Uh, they finished second in the group stage, though, um, behind Mali with those three points. Um, in the uh, knockout round, they tied Ghana as well, uh, in regulation time, um, giving up an own goal in injury time, uh, but they won on penalties. Uh, there they easily beat upstarts Madagascar, but lost in extra time to Senegal in the semifinals, and then again to Nigeria to finish in fourth place. Well, fourth place is not bad. Uh, let's move on to the 2021 African Cup. Uh, so yeah, Tunisia once again had a commanding performance in qualifying. Um, finishing uh, with five wins and just uh, a single draw in Tanzania. Um, in the tournament, uh, Tunisia lost to Mali in their opener. That was an odd game where the referee twice ended the game early uh, to Tunisia's disadvantage. Um, did you see that one? I, I did. There was kind of wild scenes and just kind of mass confusion. Um, but Tunisia were uh, furious because they were they were losing that game one nil, um, and the game ultimately did end uh, in about the 86th minute, I believe. Yeah, it did. It was a bit of a mess. Uh, Tunisia, however, recovered to beat Mauritania, but then they lost to Gambia on a late goal, um, which was in part caused by confusion over a, a wrongly given red card. Uh, though hard done by in the group stage. Um, they were unsympathetic in their reactions, um, but nevertheless advanced as a third-place finisher. Um, there they met uh, and beat a well-performing Nigeria in the round of 16, um, a real shock, but they mm -hmm. lost to Burkina Faso in the quarterfinal. 
Um, and all their games were tight. All their games except the one um, where they beat Mortania were decided by a single goal to nil. Oh, yes. Yeah, they had a bit to complain about. They're kind of unlucky, uh, Tunisia, um, um, in the in some of the tournaments yeah. here. Anyway, let's talk a look, uh, take a look at their recent uh, involvements. And uh, we'll begin, actually, with the 2021 uh, FIFA Arab Cup before Connor describes other recent games. And uh, the FIFA Arab Cup is a bit uh, kind of an interesting thing. Um, like the Confederations Cup, which also came out of the Middle East, uh, FIFA has taken it over, uh, turning it into a bit of a more major competition than than it was. I actually missed the uh, Confederations Cup, but uh, it looks like this uh, cup was pretty exciting, and a lot of teams sent their best, uh, including Tunisia. I guess kind of treating it as a warm up for the African Cup, which was uh, the following month. Anyway, they uh, they started in the group stage with a win over Mauritania, and then they played some groups in the Asian Federation, sorry, some teams in the Asian Federation. Uh, they lost uh, 0-2 to Syria, but they beat UAE uh, 1-0. So they finished first in the group. And in the quarterfinal, they faced Oman, who they beat 2-1. And uh, in the semifinal, Egypt, uh, they beat one nothing before reaching the final to face Algeria. And that went 0-0, uh, but uh, they lost 0-2 in extra time. So a good performance there by Tunisia. Yeah, second place is good. Um, yeah, in terms of friendlies, they had a few friendlies uh, prior to the Arab Cup, um, beating Congo and Mali at home, but losing to Algeria, who they would lose again to in the final. Um, and since then... Uh, they've played games um, and won against uh, both Chile and Japan, and they have a warm-up against Brazil um, prior to the World Cup. Yeah, those uh, games in Chile uh, against Chile and Japan are in a, a kind of a friendly tournament in Japan called the Kirin Cup. So it's uh, kind of interesting because it's teams from different regions uh, playing against each other. What does their World Cup schedule look like? So Tunisia starts with Denmark, um, then they play Australia and, and arguably save their toughest game for last uh, against France. All right. Well, we'll talk uh, at the end whether we see any significance in that lineup. And let's move on to our last team, Australia. Uh, starting with their participation and achievements. It's a bit of a longer section than for most teams because uh, Australia kind of had a bit of trouble finding a home, I'll tell you about it. Uh, they first entered the World Cup in 1966, and they participated in qualifying every time six, every time since. Uh, isolated geographically, FIFA has had a challenge over how to include them and New Zealand and the several smaller island countries uh, of the Oceania region, uh, how to include them into World Cup qualifying. And it's a pretty complex story. Uh, but Australia's solution of joining the Asian Confederation uh, was actually a fairly old idea. It was rejected twice in 1966 and 1972. Uh, this was presumably because it would make the Confederation too large, uh, already stretching from the Middle East to Indonesia. Uh, it was already much bigger than Asia itself. But we'll see another possible uh, reason 
asked why there was a bit of reluctance around the idea. Uh, Australia first, uh, their first attempt at joining Asia led to the establishment of the OFC, the Oceania Football Confederation. However, a fair qualification process remained a problem and led to some awkward solutions. Uh, Israel and Taiwan being kind of pseudo OFC members, for example. Uh, in the end, it became the, uh, the OFC being awarded a half spot for the World Cup. But this became uh, Australia dominating in the OFC region, so always getting that half spot, and then losing to a more experienced and well-prepared country. Finally, in 2006, Australia got what they always wanted and became a member of the AFC, the Asian Federation. From 2010 then, they, they went through uh, qualifications for the World Cup through the a Asian Federation. All right, and uh, in regional competition, they missed the first competition of the OFC because they had briefly left in their second bid to join the Asian Federation. And when that was rejected, they uh, rejoined the OFC and competed in that regional competition from 1980 to 2004. Then from 2007 onwards, they competed in the Asian Cup. In terms of achievement, Australia reached only one World Cup from 1966 until 2002. In a nutshell, that, that explains their dissatisfaction with the qualification system for the OFC. That successful qualification was in 1974. Ironically, their last qualification through the OFC in 2006 saw them win their half-spot playoff for the very first time uh, over Uruguay, no less, uh, to reach that World Cup in 2006. There, they went on to their highest achievement, uh, a round of 16 finish. The AFC qualification process has earned them regular entry into the World Cup finals, um, but 2006 remains the only time they pass the group stage. In regional competition, Australia dominated the OFC region, winning four of the six competitions. Uh, New Zealand is not really given enough credit, but they won the other two and went on to dominate the region after Australia left. There's also uh, much fear among Asian uh, Confederation countries that Australia would dominate. And that was possibly the more salient reason why they were rejected uh, their entry in 1966 and 1972. Those fears though were allayed when Australia was knocked out in the quarterfinals um, of their first Asian Cup, uh, that was in 2007, um, and knocked out by Japan. It became clear that Australia are a strong member, but not dominant in AFC. They did come second in 20, uh, the 2018 Cup and won the title in 2015 as host, uh, prompting talk in the Middle East of expelling them from the AFC. Uh, but since then, fears have subsided um, and Australia seems firmly a member of the AFC now. Right, so that was second in 2011 and first in 2015, um, but not so good in 2019. All right, well, we will take a look at the World Cup uh, first with an overview. Uh, so the World Cup qualifying history is undoubtedly the most dramatic in the world, at least until 2010. Uh, most campaigns saw them in a final knockout of some sort. Uh, it was an intercontinental playoff from 1986 onwards. Until 2006, the only time they reached the Cup was in 1974, where they won a playoff over South Korea. From 1986, they were involved in inter 
intercontinental playoff for four of the five cups, and they lost them all, uh, including a particularly gut-wrenching one with Iran in 1998. If you want more details on that, uh, we covered it in more detail when we uh, when we did a se- we did a series on uh, Asian final round World Cup qualifying. Uh, but uh, we'll just um, uh, kind of summarize it here. Uh, in 2006, they finally won that playoff to qualify for their second cup. They proved uh, they proved. Uh, that proved to be their best World Cup reach in the round of 16, as Connor said. And they would have gone further had the referee not gifted the game to Italy. Uh, after 2006, they joined the AFC and they reached the World Cup consistently. Um, indeed, it almost seemed a guaranteed spot at first, but that has uh, proved less the case in recent campaigns. All right, so uh, do you want to start the World Cup finals there, Connor? Sure. So in World Cup competition, um, Australia reached their first World Cup in 1974. Uh, there they earned a draw uh, with Chile, um, and that was it. But they did not reach the Cup again until 2006, which was their last qualification through the OFC. Um, by 2006, giving OFC a half spot was the well-established solution, and Australia had lost a number of these intercontinental playoffs. In 2006, though, they won over Uruguay to reach their second cup. They first faced Japan, who went 1-0 up on a controversial goal. Despite mounting pressure from Australia, it looked as if it would end that way. However, the dam uh, broke and Australia scored three goals um, starting at the 84th minute. A substitute scored all three of these goals, including Kim Cahill, who got the first two. Uh, It was a 0-2 loss to Brazil in Game 2. Uh, They needed only a draw with Croatia to advance uh, in their final match, but that was threatened when the Europeans scored two minutes in. Australia earned that draw on a goal at 79 minutes. Um, The game uh, probably most famous for the referee giving three yellow cards uh, to a Croatian player. Uh, So Australia advanced in second over Croatia for their best finish ever. Uh, The quarterfinal against Italy uh, was infuriating from an Australian perspective. Um, As the game continued scoreless, Australia was accruing advantages. Uh, There was a red card to Italy at 50th minute, um, and Australia had used only one substitute by the 81st, while Italy had used all theirs by the 75th. Um, And Australia was wearing down Italy with the the hustle that manager Goose Hiddink was famous for. Their plan seemed to push the game to extra time where these advantages would pay off. Uh, Yellow cards at the 89th and 91st minute showed Italy's frustration, and with seconds left, um, a desperate Italian run into the box and a tumble over defender, uh, who I guess was naive in going uh, going in for the tackle, um, brought Italy a very soft penalty and gifted them a late winner. Do you remember that one, Connor? I do. I I remember being quite invested in Australia just because of uh, how hard they work. you know, and, and I like this hitting as, as well as a manager. So, yeah, kind of a gut-wrenching end. Um, and, of course, Italy will go on and win that World Cup, but they were really fortunate to uh, get through that game. Yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty, um, well, I, I just felt that uh, gifting them, the give, giving them a penalty in, in injury time like that was just really giving them the game in effect. Yeah, you have to be certain as a referee 
Yeah. Um, and and the Italians, you know, they didn't seem to be tiring. So yeah, um, they were looking for it. But um, yeah, do you want to pick right. off? Yeah, yeah sure. Well, now they're uh, part of the Asian region. Australia dominated qualification and comfortably reached the cup in 2010. Uh, they lost 0-4 to Germany following a red card to talisman Kim, Tim Cahill at uh, 56 minutes there in game one. In game two, they took a red card for handball on the line at 24, but still managed to draw with Ghana. And they almost got through with a win over Serbia in game three, uh, scoring two quick goals at 69 and 73 to finish tied on points in the table with Ghana for second, but uh, they came third because of a an inferior goal difference. Uh, 2014 saw them losing all three games, beginning with a 1-3 loss to Chile. They then lost to Netherlands 2-3, although it featured a lovely volley from Tim Cahill, and then it was zero, uh, a 0-3 loss to Spain, uh, in the third game for a last place finish that's in the very, group. That's a very difficult group, it must be said. Uh, yes, absolutely, yeah. All right, well, Connor's going to take us through the uh, 2018, including qualifying. Um, so Australia received a bye uh, in round one of three. Um, that's really just a preliminary round. Um and uh, there they were in a group stage where they won all their games, uh, except for losing away to second place, uh, Jordan. Um, round three was an inconsistent campaign um, with four draws in a row, uh, including to Thailand, and only one win on the road. Despite besting everyone, uh, they were uh, very inconsistent and finished third behind Saudi Arabia, uh, with Japan winning the group. This brought them to a tight playoff with Syria, which required an extra time winner after the two legs. Um, in the intercontinental playoff, Honduras proved easier opponents, um, where Australia again tied in the away leg before winning at home. Uh, Australia's manager retired after qualification, and they picked up Saudi Arabia's manager, who had been fired after qualifying the Middle Easterners ahead of Australia. Uh, competitive in the cup, but unable to score, uh, getting their two goals on penalties. Um, they managed only a draw with Denmark, uh, losing to France and Peru, and finishing last in the group stage. All right. That's 2018. Well, hopefully their qualifying process was a bit easier in 2022. Let's take a look. Um, so they again uh, began uh, in a group stage in round two. Um, they beat Kuwait and Jordan twice, as well as Nepal and Chinese Taipei or Taiwan uh, for a first place finish uh, in round uh, in the group stage. Um, that put them into the final group stage where they lost uh, twice to Japan and were bested by group winners Saudi Arabia uh, to finish behind them both in the final round um, with inconsistency in the form of ties in China and Oman, um, also contributing to them finishing third in the group stage. So, um, very similar to 2018 in that they finished behind Saudi Arabia and Japan mm -hmm. uh, and were forced into a playoff. Um, they first beat the United Arab Emirates um, and then went on to beat Peru on penalties in an intercontinental playoff um, to reach the World Cup. So, um, yeah, an impressive impressive win over a strong Peru side um, that, uh, that takes them to this tournament. 
Yeah, just uh, one game in, in the uh, playoffs this time. They were played in the neutral location of uh, Qatar, all of those playoff games. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, so uh, at first I was kind of curious why it was just the one game. But I guess, uh, again, uh, Qatar looking for some some games to, to kind of help them get ready for the Cup. Okay, well, we've talked a bit about their uh, uh, regional history, so we'll just uh, kind of summarize it here. Uh, in regional competition, they dominated the uh, Oceanic region, winning four of the six competitions from 1982 to 2004. Uh, as Connor said, New Zealand probably not given enough credit there, but they did win the other two, and um, they went on to dominate the region after Australia left. Uh, there was also much fear among the AFC countries that Australia would dominate uh, the Asian region. And that was um, uh, a bit of an issue, especially for Middle Eastern teams. Uh, however, it was already ill-founded when they joined, uh, given their previous World Cup uh, qualification struggles in Asia. But their failure to win in 2007 and 2011 Asian Cups proved it. They did come uh, second, as we said, in 2011 and won the title in 2015, but they were hosting there. And uh, there was renewed talk in the middle of the in, uh, in the Middle East of expelling them from the AFC. But since then, fears have, have subsided those uh, third place finishes in World Cup qualifying. And, and uh, yeah, they didn't win the 2019 Asian Cup, but I'll let you Connor, take over and tell us what happened there. Yeah, so um, 2018 World Cup qualifying made up the first two rounds of qualification for the Asian Cup. Um, so they um, their, their first place win in round two qualified them automatically. Um, an inability to score goals really started and ended Australia's tournament. Um, a loss to Jordan in the opening game seemed to be rectified when they scored three goals um, in each uh, win over Palestine and and Syria to finish uh, second in the group stage. Uh, however, it required penalties to beat Uzbekistan after a nil-nil draw, and they fell to host UAE in the quarterfinals. Um, so the last eight, as far as Australia would get. That's right. So not a very dominant performance. They didn't even face the uh, the deadly Qatar there. Yeah, and I think it shows both World Cup qualifying and uh, Asian Cups that Australia is a very good fit in the Asian region where they're yeah. competitive with the best teams and in fact kind of raise the level um, in Asia. But like you said, there were fears that they would dominate and that simply hasn't proven to be the case. Yeah. Still, there's got to be a bit of resentment, say, for, for Middle Eastern countries to have to travel uh, to Australia to play games. Yeah. Mind you, Australia does more traveling than anyone. Uh, let's take a look at their recent games. Actually, not many of them. Uh, they did play those um, those two playoff games to reach the World Cup, so that, that pretty much occupied them. Yeah, so they just had another friendly against Jordan, which they won 2-1, and they have, um, looks like a home and away against New Zealand uh, in preparation for this World Cup. It <laughs> looks like those games are two two days apart. That would be exhausting. Okay, well, how about their schedule for the World Cup? So Australia start with France, play Tunisia, and then finish with Denmark uh, for their three group stage games. Okay, well, we'll talk about that uh, 
bit later, but now we are going to move on to part three. And we'll begin with a uh, just a reminder of their, uh, a summary of their uh, history and a look at their form going into this cup. So we'll start with France. So overall, France is not as consistent as, as other top teams are, at least in their qualifications and records of reaching the cup. Their peaks seem higher, and apart from the current period of strength, they are represented by the influence of a particularly great player, allowing us to identify the juice font so, sorry to identify the juice fontaine years around 1959, the platini years around 1985, and the zidane years stretching from 1998 to 2006. But the valleys also seem lower, with their worst period from 1962 to 1980. In recent years, though, those valleys have not been as severe and have come in the form rather of terrible lapses in the Cups in 2002, 2008 and 2010. However, recently they seem to be enjoying a fourth strong period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the period from 2008 to 2014 uh, was flat and uninspiring uh, rather than being a period of notable weakness. But as has always been the case, hosting pulled them out of it um, and second place in the 2016 Euro Cup was followed by a World Cup victory in 2018. It featured a strong team with many good players, um, but not an identifiable leader like in previous good periods. Euro 2020 was a disappointing round of 16 finish, um, and the 2022 uh, uh, World Cup qualification was uninspired with, with three draws in a fairly weak group, though they did finish a clear first. The 2022-23 uh, Euro Nation League um, is going poorly as they lead into this cup. And despite being grouped uh, with arguably almost all second tier teams in Denmark, Croatia, and Australia, they nevertheless face relegation or the prospect of it uh, to League B. Right. And that's uh, Austria. Austria, uh, sorry. Yeah, no problem. All right. Well, that's France. And uh, moving on to Denmark, I'll start with a summary and then Connor will talk about the form. So apart from a fourth place finish in 1964, Denmark didn't reach a tournament, either World Cup or Euro Cup, until 1984. From that time, they reached about half of the World Cups. They gained a reputation for doing well once there, passing the group stage four of the five World Cups they reached. Euro competition is better on the whole, though. They're uh, more consistent in reaching the Cup since 1984, missing only twice in a flat period between 2008 and 2016. In Euro Cup play, they've dropped at the group stage about half the time. However, when they have gone beyond the group stage, they've, they've done excellently, reaching the semi-finals three out of four times in 1984, 1992 and 2020, and going on to win the title in that amazing 1992 campaign. Uh, the flat period between 2008 and 16 in Euro Cup play was reflected uh, in 2006 to 2014 World Cup play. They came out of it though with a round of 16 finish in the 2018 World Cup and a semi-final finish in the 2020 Euro Cup. That puts them at a peak of form and they currently stand first in their UEFA uh, Nations League A group, uh, which started with a win in France. Right. Moving on to Tunisia. Uh, Tunisia has had three peaks 
uh, once at the beginning of their career in uh, in the mid-60s, where they finished in the top three in two of their three African Cup appearances, and the next in 1978, where they both reached the World Cup and took fourth place in the African Cup, and finally around the turn of the century, where they qualified for three World Cups in a row and won the African Cup as host in 2004. However, they had a long flat period from the mid-60s to the mid-90s, with 1978 being their only success. In recent times, they've continued to qualify for the African Cup, and they remain competitive in World Cup qualification, but they have not gone beyond the quarterfinals in the African Cup since 2004, and uh, I think I'm correct in saying they've never passed a group stage of the World Cup. Is that right, Connor? That's correct. Right. So recent results may make current times uh, a fourth peak of their strength. Yes, Tunisia were not weak before 2019 as they had been the previous century. Uh, they regularly reached the quarterfinals of the African Cup. But given the quarterfinals was their ceiling and they had not reached the World Cup since 2006, it was certainly an unglorious period. Breaking that ceiling with a fourth place finish in 2019 and two successful World Cup qualifications in 2018 and 2022 is an improvement in form. Add to this a second place finish in the reinvigorated Arab Cup in 2021, uh, which promises to become a fairly major competition and the future for Tunisia is boding well. All right, and we'll finish with Australia. Uh, Australia's dissatisfaction with the OFC, the uh, Oceanic Football Confederation setup, is illustrated by their limited opportunities to reach the World Cup. They qualified only for the 1974 World Cup between 1966 and 2002. The OFC also afforded them little opportunities to hone their skills against strong opposition. Moving to the AFC in 2007, sorry, uh, um, moving to the AFC had been their solution all along, and it seems to have been a good decision. However, the AFC's concerned, uh, concerns about making the region too big were valid, especially considering that it threatened to open the gate to island teams stretching half the way to South America. Uh, their worries that Australia would dominate, though, have not come to pass. Uh, they are a strong team that regularly takes one of the World Cup spots since, since joining in 2007. Uh, however, they only took the half spot in 2018 and 2022, uh, a quarter spot, actually. They did not dominate the Asian Cup, uh, again, doing well, but winning only one title when they hosted and appearing fairly benign in 2007 and 2019, where they only reached the quarterfinals. Uh, all in all, though, they seem a well-integrated member of the Asian Federation now. Australia are among the top-tier teams in Asia, although this is coming into question in recent years. They never dominated Asia as some thought they might, um, but the thought was more valid when they joined in 2007, having just passed the group stage of the 2006 World Cup. Since then, though, they only won the Asian Cup when they hosted in 2015. In 2018, they finished third in the final round of qualifying behind Japan and Saudi Arabia, uh, although they still made it to the World Cup. Uh, beating Syria and Honduras in playoffs. And it was a very similar situation again this time around. In 2019, they were undone by second-tier teams in Jordan, who beat them in the group stage, and UAE, who knocked them out. Uh, their ranking has also dropped from the 20s in 2012 
to around 40 in 2019. All right. Well, that brings us on uh, nicely to our next section where we do take a look uh, at the rankings. So uh, do you want to take us through it, Connor? Yeah. So starting with France, the pot one team, they're currently ranked fourth in both the FIFA and ELO systems. And they've been in the top four really since winning the World Cup in 2018. Um, so consistently uh, ranked among the top teams in the world. Yeah, they took a drop after 2010. So this is a good period for them. But um, um, yeah. And, um, sure. To Denmark. Yeah, Denmark um, were our 10th in FIFA and 9th in ELO. So both both systems have them a top 10 team in the world. We mentioned Denmark having a flat period um, to kind of 2016 when their rankings were much lower, but they've actually been um, a top 20 team pretty consistently uh, from December 2017 onwards. Yeah, and actually uh, before that too. Right. Uh, okay. To yeah. Tunisia. Um, Tunisia is currently 30th in FIFA and 45th uh, in the uh, ELO system. Um, yeah, any comments on Tunisia historically? Uh, yeah, they've kind of uh, really never gone uh, below, I think, 60, around 60 is their lowest. Um, uh, no, I actually see that they, they have been as low as 80. So, uh, again, I would say they're at a fairly good point in their career. Yeah, and that's reflected by kind of a recent rise, especially in the ELO system. Mm-hmm. And then finally, um, Australia are ranked 39th, according to FIFA, and 43rd in ELO. So the ELO system actually has Australia ahead of Tunisia, though they're behind them in the FIFA rankings. Um, and Australia, it represents, a, I guess, a bit of a fall um, uh, from recent times um, due to some of their, I guess, struggles in qualification. Yeah, I mean, that's been going on for a while, I'd say over the last five years. And uh, before that, they were they were pretty solid uh, uh, in the 20 to 30 range. So so um, as opposed to Tunisia, a bit of a a bit of a weak period for them. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look at head to head. These teams haven't played each other that much coming from different regions. But do you want to give the overview and I'll add any specifics? Yeah, so uh, France has a winning record against Denmark, though it's close. Uh, France with three wins, one draw, and two losses. Right, and uh, the last time they played was in 2018, uh, where they tied 0-0. And before that was way back in 2002, so probably not relevant. We should mention that this is the fourth time that France and Denmark have been uh, faced each other in the group stage of the World Cup since uh, 1998. Yeah, that's right. And actually, at this stage, they have an even record of um, uh, yeah, one yeah. win, one tie, one loss. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, France and Australia. Yeah, France have never met Tunisia, um, but France have met Australia twice, um, and they have a record of one win and one loss. Right. So in two thousand and eighteen, actually, uh, France won that game two one. But in the 2001 Confederations Cup, uh, Australia beat them. I'm not sure how relevant that is anymore. Yeah. Um, Denmark and Tunisia have never met, um, but Denmark and Australia met once, um, and that was in the 2018 World Cup group stage. Yeah, and they tied 1-1. 
And then um, Tunisia and Australia have met once. That was uh, in the 2005 Confederations Cup. Um, Tunisia won the game 2-0. All right. These teams have met each other uh, a couple of times in the Olympics, but uh, we really don't uh, cover that in this podcast. So we're going to move on to uh, odds. And um, Connor talked earlier about where they come from uh, in the group. Do you want to summarize that? Um, in their pots, do you mean? Yeah, in their pots. Yeah, so France and Denmark are both kind of in the top half of their respective pots. And then there's a bit of a gap. Uh, Tunisia, the bottom-ranked team in pot three, but by rankings, truly a pot four team. Um, and Australia, uh, just a little bit behind them. So they're both, um, yeah, kind of essentially two teams that are pretty close to pot one and two teams that are kind of close to the opposite end in pot four. Um, and in terms of that kind of division, we see that reflected in their odds. Um, France are given uh, 93% odds of advancing uh, beyond the group stage. Denmark have almost a 65% uh, odds or two-thirds odds of advancing. And then Tunisia and Australia um, have a 24% and about 27% respectively. So Australia slightly favored in the odds to advance. Right, slightly favoured in ELO2 and slightly behind in uh, FIFA rankings. Okay, well, let's uh, take a look at the uh, at the groups. Uh, any comments on the schedule of games there? I think in, in general it can be favourable to play the, the strongest team with a pot one team last just because they may have already qualified by that point and could perhaps play a B team. So in that case, that, that possible advantage goes to Tunisia, uh, who meet France in their final game. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, it might actually turn out that Australia has that advantage if, uh, if Denmark, um, you know, beat France like they did uh, in the recent UEFA Nations League Cup. That's right. Uh, okay, well, overall, I, I kind of see this group as... Uh, uh, split into two. I mean, you said it with the pots there that France and Denmark seem seem there seems to be a gulf between France and Denmark on the one hand and uh, uh, Tunisia and Australia on the other. Would you agree with that, or do you think the weaker teams can overcome that? I do. I, I think the gulf is is pretty large. I mean, we have two top ten teams in the world, um, two teams that have um, you know done really well in in their recent uh, tournaments. Uh, France winning the 2018 World Cup, Denmark getting to the semi-finals of the recent Euros. Um, and Tunisia, Australia, um, you know, do well to get to the Cups, but generally don't get past the group stage. Uh, Tunisia never have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I there's a bit of a gulf in the rankings, and I, I think it will be difficult for Australia or Tunisia to really challenge um, the top two. I agree. I think there's, you know, an outside chance of them kind of stealing a, a result, uh, but I don't see them really stealing second place. Yeah. Uh, rather, kind of battling for third between themselves. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. But do you see uh, France as the uh, clear kind of winners here? Uh, not clear. Um, you know, France have, um, as we kind of talked about, have a very up and down history, and they have at times failed spectacularly, including the last uh, the World Cup after their last win. Uh, they won in 1998 and crashed out in the group stage without scoring a goal 
the next World Cup. Um, so, you know, it's, it's possible, but I think where, whereas France have been inconsistent, um, you know, I see their current team um, perhaps less vulnerable to that, and they have been a bit more steady since 2016. Um, but that said, Denmark are perhaps marked by consistency and very strong showings um, at tournaments. So, um, yeah, I don't think France, uh, to answer your question, I don't think France are clear favourites to win this group. And their most recent meeting in the Nations League, which Denmark won, I think is a clear indication of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think France has by far the most talented squad, uh, but they've often had talent. And the question is whether they can uh, bring it together. And there have been a few cups where they kind of uh, failed to, to bring it together, as you say, kind of spectacular lapses. And that happens often enough, I think, that a bit of a concern, uh, a bit of a concern here um, that that France may be overconfident, as you say, which may have been the problem in 2002. Uh, And you compare that with Denmark's consistency. I mean, uh, sorry, I I just meant to add there that France, uh, a bit inconsistent in qualifying too, um, as opposed to to Denmark, who... who, uh, don't have as many big names, big stars, but they have kind of uh, teamsmanship to make up for it. In fact, do you know how many players uh, play for Brentford in England? Because they kind of seem to be gathering there. Yeah, Christian Eriksen did last season, but doesn't anymore. But they have a Danish manager, and I know they have a number of Danes, but I I don't know how many. Yeah, uh, nevertheless, I mean, it it might not be a huge factor, but even without that... uh, they, they they pretty much know how to play with each other, and uh, mm-hmm. that that kind of proved true in the 2020 uh, World Cup, where or sorry Euro Cup, where they were kind of um, um, brought together by uh, uh, Christian Eriksen's uh, heart attack on the field there, and that really seemed to kind of mold them into a strong group. So I gotta say, Connor, I'm almost thinking of picking Denmark. Uh, as the winners over France here, but I don't think France would fall out of second place. Yeah. Do you see, do you think Denmark are worthy of their top 10 ranking, which, which both FIFA and ELO seem to agree on? Uh, that seems a little bit high to me. And, and if we look at it historically, uh, um, Denmark tend actually not to, uh, um, not to have strong performances twice in a row, you know, uh, in fact, this is the the only time this 2018 and 2022, the only time they've uh, qualified for two cups in a row. Um, and if we look at the Euro Cup, they've never passed the group stage for two times uh, in a row. And uh, here, if we look at between cups, they have sometimes um, uh, qualified for for two cups in a row. Uh, but this is the first time they've done it for three times. So I don't know how significant that is, but I would say a team that's ranked in the top 10 uh, should be should be um, kind of a consistent, uh, consistent in showing up at the finals or uh, reaching the quarterfinals. So uh, uh, would you say that they're historically stronger now? I mean, by what I just said, um, that would say they're at a historical... Uh, peak almost. Yeah, I, w- I would kind of uh, agree that they are historically stronger now. Um, you know, qu- coming out of a kind of a flat period, they've done well and, and a very strong 
in qualifying campaigns as well. Very strong in the Nations League, coming off a good Euros, um, which was recent enough. And I think they're keep, they've kept that core of the team together and they know how to play together very well. So, um, yeah, I think they're, they're a strong team and perhaps a dark horse uh, for later on in the tournament. Possibly so. Do you think they're uh, strong enough to overcome France here? I think it's certainly possible. Um, we, we see with some big teams, it sometimes takes them a bit of time to get going in a tournament. Um, and, and that could be the case with France. You know, when France and Denmark meet in their second game, I, I see a tie as being quite possible. And then it kind of comes down to p- potentially even goal difference. So I think it's quite plausible that Denmark uh, can win the group. All right. Well, looking at the bottom half of the table, uh, FIFA prefers Tunisia, whereas the odds makers and uh, ELO prefer Australia. What think you? I, I think Australia um, are coming in at a bit of a weak point, as we mentioned. Even looking at some of their players, um, obviously Tim Cahill was a talisman for them, but they don't seem to have kind of big players playing on as big teams as they have in the past. Um, yeah, uh, and they, Schwarzer and... Yeah, others yeah. like that. So they've been dogged by a bit of inconsistency. So I, I don't see them as, um, yeah, kind of at a strong point in their history. Um, you know, Tunisia, um, you know, for them, it kind of looks a little bit like their last World Cup group where they had England and Belgium together, two strong European teams, and then them and Panama kind of fighting out for fourth third or fourth place in the group and that's exactly how that group played out although Tunisia did give England a scare um so I don't see um either team being being quite good enough to to challenge though though taking points off you know for both Tunisia and Australia taking points off the top two is not out of the question I just don't see it being enough to get out of the group yeah I gotta say I'm a bit worried about Australia's form coming into this cup we saw their their qualifications you know uh, finishing third in the Asian group and having to uh, qualify through playoffs, although they did well in those playoffs. Uh, the 2019 Asian Cup, you know, some teams can uh, can say they were steamrolled by Qatar, but actually uh, Australia was knocked out by UAE. I guess they were the hosts. Uh, when I look at their players, though, I, I think that's a real concern, especially in terms of scoring. Whereas uh, Tunisia have a couple of scorers, uh, Wabi Kazri, and, and um, you know they don't seem to have that same problem that Australia has scoring. Australia have had it over the last couple of tournaments, and I, I don't really see a solution there. Like Jamie McLaren's okay, but he's not he's not a Tim Cahill, you know. Yeah. So as we're talking here, I think when I started the podcast, I was kind of. Uh, feeling that Australia had the had the edge, but now um, now I'm, I'm beginning to have my doubts. Yeah, I think Tunisia they they had the experience of playing in guitar. It's going to be a more familiar environment to them, and they may have some backing as as an Arab country. Um, so again, it's not by any stretch a, a home advantage, but there might be elements of that that come through for Tunisia. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Australia does play these Middle Eastern teams in their region, but we saw their road record uh, in in 2022 was was quite weak. So uh, I think you're right. Tunisia will have an advantage, uh, both climate-wise and kind of feeling more at home. Yeah. 
All right. Well, you know, I've been putting up with your ducking and dodging here, but uh, now it's time to, to ask you to give it to me straight, Connor. How is this going to group going to turn out? I'm going to say France win the group ahead of Denmark. I think it's possible that they're tied on points, but if it does come down to goal difference, I give France the edge just with the players they have. So France first, Denmark second, and I'm going to go uh, Tunisia third, Australia fourth. Though again, it's possible that those two two may be tied on points as well. But um, I think Tunisia have a couple things in their favor, a bit more on the rise, a bit more at home. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, it's possible that they finish third. Yeah, I got to say I came into this. Uh, uh, well, I'll start with, uh, actually, I'm going to pip Denmark over France. I think their consistency um, uh, is better. Not that I think that they'll go further in a tournament than France necessarily, but um, uh, I think their consistency will win out in the group stage. And I came in thinking uh, Australia and Tunisia, but I'm going to agree with you there. I think Tunisia have a couple of advantages, and I think particularly Australia's difficulty in scoring goals will see them finishing uh, in last place. All right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the uh, podcast, and we really appreciate you uh, listening. Yeah, those who are, are unfamiliar with our podcast might want to keep listening for some information about further listening. Uh, but if you're turning off uh, now, uh, we'll say goodbye and, and hope that you'll uh, tune in for our next podcast in the series. All right, great. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, uh, for the listening, we've done nine different series of podcasts if you're interested in a deeper dive. Uh, some of the information may be dated, but some of the histories focus on different aspects of the team histories, so it can help you to get to know teams more intimately. Yes, as mentioned, this is our 10th series, and we have done at least one series on every region except Oceania. We have files for that region too, and we'll do one down the road so as not to leave them out. But let's go region by region. Uh, right, so Europe, our first series was a group by group podcast on the teams of Euro 2020. Uh, that was played in the summer of 2021. And uh, for South America, we also did a group-by-group group podcast on the teams in Copa America 2021. For North America, we have done three series on CONCACAF. The first was a group-by-group group podcast on the teams in the 2021 Gold Cup. That included a look at Qatar. The second was a preview of the eight teams in the final round of World Cup CONCACAF qualifying. That came with our first player series, where we went team-by-team team through the players. The third was an update halfway through that qualification. Yes, and for uh, Asia, we did a group-by-group group podcast on the 12 teams in the final round of World Cup qualifying, and that included a deep dive into each team's World Cup qualifying history. We have done three series on African teams. The first was a group-by-group group podcast on the 24 teams in the 2021 African Cup, played in early 2022. The second, done around the same time, was a team-by-team -team series on the players for each of those teams. Third and finally, we have recently concluded a series on almost all teams in Africa, a group-by-group -group examination of the 12 qualifying groups for the 2023 African Cup. This included a deep dive into their African Cup history, which is quite extensive. This provides a look into some of the lesser teams that rarely even qualify for the African Cup. Right, and we realize that not everyone is interested in the level of detail that we go into, 
So starting from that series, the 2023 African Cup series, uh, we're editing our media, media casts into shorter versions. Uh, generally, for groups and teams, this will just be a summary, uh, a summary uh, and discussion segments of the longer podcasts. And for the player, uh, the player ones, just the sections on the squad's overall strength and a list of the uh, main players that we expect to reach the competition. So uh, that's usually two or three groups per episode. Yes, otherwise each long version of the series contains a deep dive into the matter at hand. So if it's African Cup qualification, for example, it's a deep dive into the team's history of African Cup qualification. Or if it's the World Cup qualification, a deep dive into each team's history in qualifying for the World Cup. Right, and all of those podcasts can be found in our library at soccerfiles.captivate.fm. That's soccer files with a PH in the middle and an S at the end. And uh, we also provide a link to our website and other relevant material in the show notes for each uh, media cast. And in general, uh, to find us, you can type soccer files Canada into Google and uh, it's easy to find your way from there. Or just check out the show notes for this or any of our media casts and it'll be easy to navigate uh, from there. Okay, see you in our future media cast.